the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got a fascinating program today. Um, We will talk in just a few moments with Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf is a left-leaning feminist. uh, Every position, I think, is probably opposite mine, except... She has been extraordinarily critical of how the world has operated under COVID, and she's pieced together her experience over, I'd say, the last 25 years and has come to the conclusion that, that there are globalists that are, that are trying to influence how we live in America, and their, and their interests are not aligned with ours. And I hate to say it, it sounds like um, she and I have come to the same page on this. I mean, we disagree. In fact, I'm going to ask her about a quote that I have of hers on abortion. Um, we'll see. I don't want to sort of sandbag the interview, but I can't resist uh, getting to it. We'll talk to her in a few moments. And she's, her new book is called uh, The Body of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the War Against the Humans. Um, and uh, she's the founder of dailyclout.io. We'll also talk with uh, Rita Diller. Uh, who's a top uh, pro-life strategist, uh, taking stepping in to play a key role at uh, the American Life League. But first, we need to get to this nastiness, terrible, terrible nastiness um, that is happening in this country, being led by our media. Um, MSNBC, one of the reporters there, her name is, um, what is it, Alcinder um, is her last name. I forget her first name now, but she's one of the hosts of um, MSNBC uh, and on NBC all the time. And she um, has said... Actually, she, I guess she's a reporter. I take it back. Yeah, Mish Alcinder. She's not on MSNBC only. She's on uh, uh, M. She's uh, on uh, NBC also. She said, um, and I quote, that she's worried that the Democrats will have a different, difficult time making people care about the January 6th hearings. And they need to care because they need to change from caring about things that matter to them now, which is uh, in this case, she talked about uh, gas prices, inflation and baby formula. And they need to care about January 6th. In other words, it's the job. It's a reporter that they, the, the Democrats need to make people care more about the January 6th hearings than about gas prices, baby formula. This is my point. This is the narrative machine at work. The narrative machine is big government. That's Congress, the White House, big media, NBC, MSNBC, Yamish Alcindor, along with big tech. And they're going to tell you they need to make people care more about January 6th hearings than about gas prices and baby formula. As someone said, I think on social media, truly is evil. It's truly evil stuff. What's happening? Evil, evil things to be talking like that. And to be thinking about the power of government being used and aided by big media to try to change people's preferences in terms of what they know and feel and worry about from things that really matter, in my opinion. I don't think anybody disagrees. Gas prices, baby formula, um, inflation to the January 6th hearings, show trials, literally a show trial. It's, it's staged by an ABC reporter, uh, producer award-winning ABC producer who is helping stage 
the show trials, the select committee on January 6th show trials, which begins Thursday night, and are designed not to tell the truth, not to get to the bottom of things, not to shape and form how we live and work, but to make people care more about January 6th hearings, the hearings, than other things like gas prices and baby formula, and so that they get their mind off those things that matter and they will vote for Democrats. That's what Yamish Alcindor says. Horrendous stuff. Horrendous stuff. And my prediction, as I've said for a couple of days, as I've watched this, it's not working. It's not going to work because the American people are seeing through it. It's like the Mueller report. By the time it was over, people knew, oh, yeah, that didn't mean anything. But you know what? Half the country was brainwashed back then and will be again. Terrible stuff. Terrible people. Terrible. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back with a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward uh, in a funny way to speaking with our next guest. And I I was telling her off the air. She didn't realize I was going to say that. But uh, before Rita Diller came on, and she's now the new head of STOP and STOP International, which is an American Life League's initiative uh, stopping Planned Parenthood, I had as a guest uh, a number of times uh, Jim Sedlak, and he was wonderful on the air, a wonderful uh, history of of battling and and, uh, for pro-life and also being really smart and and peaceful and communicative. And of course, our listeners know, Rita, I've talked about on the air that uh, Jim passed away so, so, so suddenly for a lot of us, and I was really enjoying that new friendship with him. So you're the new uh, Jim in a way, but of course, nobody's new Jim in a full way. And so Rita Diller herself has uh, been working in the pro-life movement, has a history. Uh, let maybe let her tell that of knowledge of Planned Parenthood and what they did. And so a wonderful way and uh, the Lord works to put her in place to help with stop. So first, tell me a little bit about your history, Rita, please. Oh, thank you, Ed. It's such a thrill to be here and to be back at American Life League. Uh, after a seven-year hiatus. Mm -hmm. So before coming to STOP initially, I spent 12 years as the Respect Life Director of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Amarillo, Texas, Mm -hmm. where I did very much what I do today, honestly. We had 19 Planned Parenthood centers in operation there when Bishop Yonta and I, and yeah, when we arrived in town from separate directions. (laughs) He called me in and he said, Rita, this is a bishop's worst nightmare. What are we going to do? <laughs> we literally, you know, and we'd both been involved in rescue prior to that. So we were very deeply, both of us, involved in the pro life movement before that. And uh, we were ready to play hardball. We knew what to do. Mm-hmm. So we started prayer vigils at every one of the Planned Parenthood <laughs> facilities. That, and that was the top 26 counties of Texas that wow. our diocese covered. So um, they were spread out everywhere. And we started prayer vigils at every one so that there would be a presence there. Um, We began exposing the truth about Planned Parenthood at their facilities everywhere. Everywhere we could find a venue, on every corner, we were exposing Planned Parenthood. And honestly, within 13 years, all those facilities had been shut down. And there was one remaining location that had to change its name and sever ties with Planned Parenthood just to remain in existence. Hmm. So um, that's that was yeah. pretty much my life immediately before coming to. Well, and I should say, and stop. it's been it's been for for decades and decades. I think over forty years you've been in the pro life fight. But you did like a lot of young people started out more liberal. I mean, you were a, fem- a feminist. I think self described card carrying member of the feminist movement, and and uh, and out there, and all, all these decades later. One quick question, if I may. Um, when you observe 
the opposition to life, meaning the folks that popped up, especially when, say, the Alito opinion leaked, they had protests and things. Doesn't it strike you sometimes how, um, in the modern time, how ugly, and I mean that in how they talk, but also how they look, how ugly some of the modern anti-life movement is? I mean, it's almost, I, I used to have Phyllis, the late Phyllis Schlafly used to talk about the importance of the women's conference in Houston in the late 70s because it exposed this ugliness, both in what they said and how they acted, but also just was not, you know, you meet people, you don't, doesn't mean you're attractive. Not everyone is beautiful, but when you're peaceful or something, you have a certain comfort. It's just an ugly movement, the feminists these days, maybe uglier than ever. It is. And it, you know, it springs from the evil that is within. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing pretty about evil. Mm -hmm. Evil never rests and it never backs off. And that's exactly what you see coming from these folks. It's just that vitriol, the the demonic, if you want to um, tell the truth, the demonic um, influence that they're carrying inside of them because they're carrying this evil philosophy and they're uh, impressing it upon people. So, uh, and I've seen it on the sidewalks of Planned Parenthood where we would be outside praying the rosary and we might have a priest with us praying or some nuns in their habits. And suddenly, uh, one day this lady just came hurling out of there and, and just screaming and yelling and falling on the ground. And I, I am 100% certain she was possessed hmm. and that those prayers penetrated those walls and stirred up those demons and drove her right out into the, into the sidewalk. Uh, we're talking so, yes, about, yeah, yes, it's, it's true. I might, sorry, I wanted to remind people, I forgot early to say this. Uh, the website for a stop is a stop with two P's.org. And we're talking with Rita Diller. Uh, she's the national director and has stepped in to play the role that Jim Sedlick had and started way back in the eighties. Um, and stop international conti- continues that fight. So Rita, a, a broad question about sort of, the, the general policy framework. I, I will tell you that I was chief of staff to the governor. I've, my listeners have heard me tell the story, the governor of Missouri. And I came in about a year into his term. And one of the things I asked the, the, the uh, heads of cabinets is to find out any money that came from the federal government that was going to anything that had touched abortion. And we discovered that money was flowing through Missouri and the governor was pro-life and flowing through Missouri to Planned Parenthood through some grant process. And no one had ever revealed it. And the governor, you know, God bless him. We, we fired the bureaucrat. We, cut it off and all that. Uh, but the money, the follow the money of this is extraordinary. The, the influence of Planned Parenthood to, yes, they're doing abortions, but even more than that, in a way, I mean, nothing's worse than the killing, but they are, they built this network that supports it and not just supports abortion and ending life, but supports the politics and policies uh, uh, that promote that. I, it, it's almost like taking on Planned Parenthood is taking on the biggest toughest uh, opponent and are are we ever winning oh are we winning in a big way <laughs> <laughs> we really are our our latest facilities report shows that uh, their numbers continue to spiral and uh, they're they're just an organization that's on the way down and and then also of course you see that Roe is on the cusp of being overturned and that battle is getting ready to to really fire off in the states, so mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing like Planned Parenthood gearing up to open newer and bigger facilities in states like Nevada, where it's already purchased property for that expansion because they can foresee women coming from other states where abortion is going to be highly restricted by law. Uh, but wow. in reality, what's happening is Planned Parenthood 
is dying. Their numbers of facilities are 23% lower than they were in 1970 when Roe was erected. Hmm. So um, what they're doing is scrambling to keep their abortion numbers up any way they can. And their main thrust, their main way of doing that these days in these past few years has been through uh, the abortion pill. That's mm-hmm. their, that's their, um, it's a moneymaker. It's a way to keep the abortion numbers up. And it's something they can do without building huge facilities or putting a lot of money into it. So that's, that's what they've always been interested in is abortion, abortion, abortion. And they're not backing off from that, but they are going down. They're on their way down. Uh, again, and the more, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. no, so no, keep going. Finish. I'm sorry. Please. I was just going to say the more that um, pro-life groups, grassroots groups, dig down and put their roots down deeper and spread further through the community with this solid wall of resistance that we help them build to Planned Parenthood, then what you're going to see is loss of, of local funding, loss of local support. Then it trickles up to loss of state support. Pretty soon they've shut their doors and they're running off looking for uh, receptive ground, which they're going to find less and less of as more grassroots people get into the um, show here, get into actually moving in and um, running Planned Parenthood away from their communities. So uh, again, they're we're losing ta- big yeah, time. We're, ta- we're talking with uh, uh, Rita uh, Diller and um, national director and now uh, stepped in where Jim Sedlak, the great Jim Sedlak, was um, heading stop, uh, stop.org. And let me tell you, when you click through, one of the things that Rita mentioned is these facility reports where you can actually see, um, and stop puts these together, what the Planned Parenthood facilities are, where where they where they have lost uh, ground. And, and to your point where, now, as you mentioned, they're going to build uh, ground to be Become hubs, I guess, in in, in uh, bad states. Uh, I, I, can I ask you, Rita, a practical matter? I, you know, I, one of the things I do, and we, we what you talk about is how the policies uh, affect, end up in politics, um, impacting politics. And one of the things I loved about Judy and Judy's efforts is how clearly she said, "Hey." We're not going to make exceptions. We're not going to negotiate on life. This is what this means. When a lot of other groups had, had, you know, moving, you know, shifting goalposts for lots of reasons. But one thing right. I see coming in the fall, let's say that the Republicans win the House in, in the national, at the national level. Um, they, had, they do have an opportunity because the House controls the budget to, to force a real defunding. Because you tell me, Rita, but, you know, the, the, the problem with a lot of the efforts of so-called conservatives is the government's so big and so intrusive. Like, I don't know the answer, but I bet you COVID money ended up to Planned Parenthood, right? I mean, and we all know the trick is money's fungible. So if you give Planned Parenthood of X county a bunch of money for PPE and you give them preferential treatment, they're going to use the money for the things that they need. And so is, is, do you have any sense, Rita, that, that the, the opening, as we see the Alito draft opinion, God willing, it becomes, the Dobbs opinion becomes a reversal. Um, and we are seeing real leadership at the state level saying, no, we're going to ban abortion. We're going to do it in Texas. We're going to do it in Missouri. We're going to do it in places. At the, at the national level, I don't see that. I mean, I want to. Is there a, a space where real defunding, hold the line, defund Planned Parenthood could dramatically change things? Or am I or am I already looking past what we should be fighting over? Well, defunding obviously is the key. It's the final key to shutting Planned Parenthood down. They have 
um, an ace in the hole, and that is the billionaires that will continue to fund them even when they lose their government funding. But when they do, when the government funding dries up and when local support dries up, those are the two things they have to have. They have to have local support in the fact that the community likes them, the community accepts them, the community allows them to be there. That coupled with defunding. Mm-hmm. will certainly shut them down each and every time. Mm-hmm. So, and yes, as far as holding the line on no abortion whatsoever, that has always been where American Life League and Stop have stood. Yep. And um, now's the time that we could do that. And yep. and hopefully people people will realize that, you know, we don't have to cower. We don't have to make exceptions. Life is life and every human life is precious and we have to protect every single human life. Well, Rita, thank you for um, your efforts to help um, as, uh, re- I don't know, replacing Jim Sedlock, but continuing the work, which is so important. And for all that you've done, it's uh, your, your your biography could have done the whole interview on your biography and your history and the work you've done. So thank you for doing it and keep us informed. I think I actually think that in some ways stop is I'm, gl- I'm so glad to, that Judy and the team there are focused in on this because I do think that. You know, you're going. We're going to have a conversation, very good one. It's going to be the most important in many ways for a lot of people on life and defending life. But we also have to realize where the forces, as you mentioned, of evil are and how they're steering, you know, tax dollars and stealing, steering money and influencing politicians. You know, if there weren't politicians getting paid uh, and getting supported by all these leftists, they they might rethink their positions. I know it sounds crass to listeners, but most politicians care about money, campaign money and votes. And uh, we've got to make that clearer and clearer. So thank you for your time very much, Rita. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll come back and uh, I'll put this up over on social media, as I always do, and make it a standalone link also so we can uh, you can check it out. And it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm really pleased and uh, excited to uh, uh, to introduce our next guest. It uh, doesn't need much introduction. Naomi Wolf uh, has been, I guess you'd say, a commentator, a participant in politics and policy for a long time. She's the co-founder and CEO of DailyClout.io, which is a, a tech company. You can go there and see it. And the reason I got clued into her right now is she has a new book, book out called The Bodies, excuse me, The Bodies of others, the new authoritarians, COVID-19, and the war against the humans. So welcome, Naomi Wolf. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. When I read about this book and I knew it was coming out, you know, you over the last couple of years, you've achieved a certain uh, fame, maybe notoriety. You always had some, you've had some fame for a while, but notoriety, whatever it would be about having stood up and said, hey, wait a second, we're being... Um, misled and and you were not getting all the truth and you've been knocked off of social media periodically. But I want to ask you in the broader uh, context, when I look at your career, you've often challenged your, to say it different, to say it, it's not exactly right, but your own side's thinking when it didn't make sense or you've often I mean before they called everybody who didn't agree with the conventional wisdom conspiracy theorists, Mm. you were willing to say, hey, this doesn't quite look right. And what I want to ask you is, at this moment in our history, America, and I know this is part of your book, but have we, I mean, we're so stuck with really dishonest news and really mm. distorting media, and the government is using them both, and a lot of the country is really pretty simply brainwashed. I mean, aren't we to a 
breaking point? Isn't that the point? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, uh, I think that I think both sides are being propagandized, honestly. Right. Um, and I think it's bigger than left versus right. Uh, for sure, you know, I come from the left. I've been an advisor to a Democratic presidential campaign and to a Democratic vice president. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as a classical liberal, but it is definitely true that since I began doing standard investigative reporting and standing up for the Constitution in the last two years, you know, raising questions about these lockdowns and this kind of uh, coercive um, health policy and these forced vaccine mandates and so on, um, the, 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 my former fr- you know, friends and colleagues and news outlets have sort of ejected me. And that's depressing. And it certainly, you know, indicates that there is a lot of uh, propaganda and brainwashing going on in the legacy media, in the New York Times and CNN and CN- MSNBC and so on. And in the bodies of others, I track how money is flowing to those news outlets to, um, to, to, for COVID education and also from the CARES Act. So they're basically being bribed to mm. smear and deplatform critics of this monolithic um, messaging about um, pandemic policy and vaccines. Um, but having said that, I do, you know, when I say it's bigger than left versus right, it's not, I don't respectfully believe that just switching parties in power is going right. to solve what the, you know, my concern is. And, and the bodies of others says that there's a global attack on all of humanity by a few bad actors um, and that transcend left and right. And these bad actors include the World Economic Forum. They include the World Health Organization. We just saw them try to grab sovereignty from nation states, um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the Chinese Communist Party, as well as a handful of massive big tech companies and that they've been using the pandemic to, as a pretext to strip us of our liberties, especially to make war on the West and especially to make war on America and American families and children, particularly, and to kind of recreate the world so that we don't have our freedoms. And so that we, you know, they're in charge essentially. Um, So I guess what I would say to you is that it looks like the left in this country but it's the same right. script uh, yeah. with Boris Johnson in, in a conservative in Britain. Scott Morrison was a conservative in Australia. Um, he was using the same script. You know, it happens to be a liberal, Justin Trudeau, who's a tyrant in Canada. Macron is a tyrant in France. <laughs> so these are these are transnational bad actors. You, you, know, bad you, actors. you know who you sound like? We're talking with Naomi, Naomi, excuse me, Naomi Wolf and her book again is The Bodies of Others. And I should make sure to highlight for people All Seasons Press. It's just out a few weeks and you can find it anywhere books are sold. You sound a little bit like the late Phyllis Schlafly for whom I worked. You know, early when she wrote A Choice, Not an Echo in 1964, <laughs> one of the big focuses was that both parties were delivering and, re- and she was writing about the Republican Party, the same <laughs> kinds of uh, uh, echoes. We got this echo over and over again. And so so, uh, uh, did you first of all? Did you ever debate her, uh, Phyllis Schlafly? And did you did you know? Did you meet her? I don't know the I, answer. You know, I ne- I don't believe that I ever did. Um, I believe that she. Sadly, we, we we talked about each other, but we never actually. <laughs> I don't think we ever actually connected directly. But I'm sorry about that because um, I've always believed that the, you know, the position that there's only one kind of feminist, and you have to be. 
a progressive in order to be a feminist is wrong. I think she was a feminist <laughs> and I know th- seriously. Yeah, uh-huh. And I think she, she, you know, I think the whole movement would have been better, would have developed better policies and better conversations by conservative feminists and progressive feminists being in dialogue with each other. And mm-hmm. I probably agreed with a lot of what she had to mm-hmm. say. Well, I certainly, 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 yeah, certainly on the, on the, I mean, you know, the, the, the erosion of sovereignty and what it could mean was something that really interesting moments of, of crossover in the Clinton era, they were trying to harmonize the American patent system with Europe. And she said, wait a second, why, you know, why is that as an example of all these different moments in her, in her long career where she was looking, seeing sort of intrusions on uh, and, and ending up with a, sort of globalist regime. Again, Naomi Wolf's our guest. By the way, one thing I would say about you and her, because I was looking at your um, your career, she was a writer first and foremost. She did lots of other things. Mm-hmm. In fact, she was famous for saying she had it all, just not all at once, meaning a husband, <laughs> wife, and kids and all that. Right. But she was a writer. And to the end of her life, she was still writing her columns. And I know you're a, you are someone who has your whole career been a writer and prolific at it. And again, we're mm-hmm. talking about this new book, The Bodies of Others, so uh, by Naomi, Naomi Wolf. But um, now, do you think these these entities that are causing that, that are that are evil actors on the world stage? Um, I know they succeeded in gaining power and influence through COVID, but are we? Is there a path to roll it back, or is it all they take? We talk about it. They wait for the next crisis because the next crisis is coming. Is there either a global recession or a global depression? And again, you'll see this sort of onslaught, the march forward, in my opinion. That's my worry. Or do you see a way that this rolls back? Well, it's really up to us. Um, I mean, we're at, you know, I wrote a book called The End of America in 2008 in the Bush era mm-hmm. uh, when I pointed out that all tyrants, whether they're on the left or the right, um, take the same 10 steps. It's like a script. And the last step is the one from which there really is no going back without, and I'm a peaceful person, so I hope no one misconstrues this, but step 10, you only get your democracy back after a civil war, basically, right. or an armed you know, uh, rebellion. Uh, I mean, and that's martial law, that's emergency law. So that's where we're at. You know, most people don't, and I'm not calling, I don't want to get arrested. I'm not calling for civil war. I'm not calling for armed insurrection. Um, I'm just saying historically, uh, we've lost our, our republic. People are not aware of this. It's the sneakiest coup that ever was. But President Biden, for whom I'm embarrassed to say I voted, um, uh, extended emergency powers in April. For, for the eighth time, but this time in an open-ended way, no terminus state. And uh, here in New York State, Governor Hochul extends emergency powers every 30 days. And she just um, issued an executive decree uh, creating a, an alliance with, the, I literally just this minute, this was sent to me, an alliance with the Department of Homeland Security, so federal, right? So losing states' rights there, um, to uh, keep track of what people are saying on social media and to investigate domestic terrorists. And it's a whole package of, you know, no one gets to buy body armor, all bullets are, you know, identified, um, a, a whole kind of um, disarming of mm-hmm. the population and identifying them as insurrectionists if they disagree with any, you know, the, anything, you know, mm-hmm. the, the 
she she says is wrong think um in and she's trying to create also a quarantine uh camps as as they have in tried to do in Washington state as well like those in Australia where um and this was a board of health regulation i'm not making this up she really existed and we narrowly defeated a similar one in Washington state where the board of health can detain you uh, you know indefinitely if you've been exposed to a bloodborne pathogen and you can't get out you know, without a, a court order. So, you know, more than 28 states are still under emergency powers. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, is there hope? It really depends on us. We've got to wake up. The, you know, a war is being waged against us. And the, the book explains exactly who and how we have to face the fact that we're at war, you know, that it's, it's being waged against us. And we have to peacefully mobilize accordingly and engage in a million acts of peaceful resistance and noncompliance in addition to other kinds of organizing, like passing legislation at the state level, as you know, we've got model bills on Daily Clout to help you pass legislation to end emergency law, no vaccine mandates, uh, no mask mandates, um, free, freedom of assembly, and so on. But, but we have to organize and we have to not comply. Uh, again, um, Naomi just mentioned dailyclout.io. You can go there. It's uh, on that website. Lots of information. And the book, again, is The Bodies of Others um, by Naomi Wolf. Um, you're a communicator. I mean, you're a writer. You're a communicator. You've been a sort of public, I don't know if the word is the right word, intellectual, but you've been a public persuader of people. You've said, let me make arguments. Let me cont- let me talk to people about what I see based on my education and insight. At this moment, it feels to me like Meta, which is Facebook, is the most powerful thing that's ever existed. Maybe I think it's folded up with uh, the intelligence community myself, but, yeah. but in terms of using not just technology, but neuroscience to, to change the brains of lots of people and, and, and make them ill-informed is a nice way to say brainwashed. I, I, again, how do we how do we address that problem? Uh, that's you know sort of beyond almost any most people's understanding. Um, you, I'm not really sure what you mean. How do we explain this to everybody? No, no. How do we break that? How do we if if you if you're a good communicator and you have a great book and everyone reads it and they say, oh, the bodies of others, and you get a thousand million people to read it and they go back to their daily life. Their daily life is filled with the the meta Facebook literally brainwashing most of their neighbors and they're saying, and, and, and that's the question. I, I, I look at these, the brainwashing and I wonder how do we help our neighbors get past that when meta every day is getting better at the neuroscience while we're still having conversations like this, which are meaningful and helpful and will convert and, and will bring in enlighten or information and, and hopefully to thousands. But that's what I feel like we're up against. Um, yeah, I agree with you. So that's why a huge part of the conclusions I draw is we have to snap out of living our lives on digital platforms. Um, that's how they manage to trick us uh, and and get and d- divide us and and uh, gaslight us. Um, and so I encourage people to you know reclaim the IRL world, which they're trying to like dehabituate ourselves right. from. Meaning, you know, go to church, right? Go to synagogue, go to mosque, go to the town hall, have a potluck, have a party. I'm mean, the whole COVID narrative, which I explain in the bodies of others, is full of bad data and 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 hyped 
numbers. Um, I'm not saying it wasn't real uh, to some extent, but it's literally unverifiable um, in terms of the details of the science, the PCR tests and the COVID uh, dashboards and so on. Readers will will understand what I mean. Um, But that that was all designed to drive us onto our keyboards, partly so big tech could harvest data and eyeballs and advertising from all the things we were doing on dashboards that we couldn't do any longer in, in person, you know, partly to fracture American society, American community. Um, but, you know, w- w- the narrative was other people will kill you. Other people's bodies will kill you. Closeness to other human beings will kill you. And, you know, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly, it's really not true. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's mitigation and we have to assemble again. So that that is really crucial. You know, lectures used to be a very powerful way for hundreds of people to hear a message all at once and communicate with each other. Town halls in person, not on Zoom, used to be a powerful way for neighbors to inform each other and caucus each other and lobby each other and come up with new ideas and new solutions. Um, you know, church and synagogue. I mean, my people survive for thousands of years of persecution because we assembled together in in synagogues you know and we 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 gave each other strength and the same is true of you know church, of every religion right and right. that's why communists and you know uh, I, I think kind of right now demonic big tech companies are trying to dissolve human community so we don't have that strength and creativity and that resilience the world looks completely different the pandemic looks totally different if you're meeting with other human beings and saying how are you you're fine i'm glad you're fine how's your town most everyone's fine you know mm-hmm. i'm so sorry you lost a couple of people early in the pandemic like if we'd been getting our information from other human beings instead of these digital tech platforms that are invested in the vaccines and invested in a world in which vaccine passports track our every move, um, our, our whole world would have looked different, right? Our knowledge base would look different. So we have to reassemble and, um, and, and, and also do things like figure out where our food supply comes from, you yeah. know, figure out what to yeah. do if, you know, if the grid goes out, all of that is, is on its way because I do not believe these people are going to let us have peaceful midterms and a peaceful transfer of power. Uh, We are uh, talking again with uh, Naomi Wolf. The book is The Body of Others. I would be remiss if I, in this context, I just one last question, line of question, is that um, there there will be in the next month or so a decision in the Dobbs case uh, Mm -hmm. on abortion. And you have over your long career, again, written on the subject. Uh, One of the the things that you wrote that I remember reading and I found was war is legal. It's sometimes even necessary. Letting the dying die in peace is often legal and sometimes even necessary. Abortion should be legal. It's sometimes even necessary. And you go on and I'll summarize it so I don't read a full quote up. I will use it later. But to basically say, even if you think abortion is murder or death, you should be allowed to have that. What do you think? Where do you think we are in the context of how do how do how does the abortion <laughs> debate and the moment play out now? I know you feel like there's a bigger battle uh, and you've described it in the book and others. But I mean, it, it's a huge issue for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it is. I was trying to explain to a friend of mine who's a Republican strategist that so many progressives would vote Republican if there was just some way to have a platform that was a little bit inclusive on climate change and on abortion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying that people need to abandon their views or abandon their religion, um, you know, for themselves. But if there's a way to say a version of good people can disagree or, you know, I really think it's wrong, but 
you know, I, I'll try to persuade you instead of, you know, legislating against you. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways for, for good people to talk about these issues respectfully, um, you know, without abandoning their passionately held convictions. And, um, and I, I hope I can persuade, you know, leaders like you to be open to having yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Well, um, I don't- I think I think I think for those of us and Phyllis Schlappo did this is it's a matter of also growing the number of people that are listening to each other on the arguments, you know, and and, and one thing that I think Phyllis at the end of her life, we're again, our guest is Naomi Wolf. She talked a lot about how her influence on the platform, a pro-life plank in the Republican platform, because the other party did not have it. And so at least there was the contrast and there was a discussion. Right. But uh, I have to leave it there. Unfortunately, uh, we run out of time. Very interesting. Naomi Wolf, again, her book is The Body of Others, uh, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the war against the humans uh and it is published by all seasons press thanks for the time nomi thank you so much you're welcome we'll take a break everybody and we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of phyllis schlafly and now from the archives of phyllis schlafly eagles here is phyllis schlafly liberals are imposing censorship on college campuses today constantly inventing new phrases to justify their actions. A safe space is an area on campus where conservatives are not allowed to speak freely, and a trigger warning is an alert that something politically incorrect is about to follow. The Department of Education is partly responsible for the vanishing amount of free speech on campus, Under the George W. Bush administration, a federal standard protected free speech by proclaiming that the mere expression of views, words, symbols, or thoughts that some person might find offensive could not alone constitute harassment. But in 2013, Obama changed that standard to expand the concept of sexual harassment to include words that are merely unwelcome. Liberal colleges then widened this further to prohibit anything that might be offensive in any of the vast categories of gender, race, veteran status, and religion. The test of what constitutes harassment is no longer objective, but is subjective based on how the listener views the words. If a professor or even another student says something that is unwelcome, then it could constitute harassment under the Obama rule. The result has been a paralysis in discussion and debate at many colleges. Far from being a dynamic environment encouraging independent thinking, colleges have become mental straitjackets that suffocate the minds of students. While college costs have skyrocketed, the value of college has declined. Free speech has become an endangered species at most colleges, and conservative commencement speakers are almost unheard of. Liberal Hollywood actors and Democratic politicians are usual speakers on Commencement Day. A study last year found that liberal speakers outnumbered conservatives by six to one for commencement addresses at the top 100 universities. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs. Visit us at phyllisschlafly.com and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, just got a couple minutes to wrap things up. Let me say this. Um, We're having some interesting times, aren't we? Um, I get a lot of emails from listeners and others. They send me the uh, information they're seeing. And I received an email. Actually, um, let me take it back. It was a text. And the text came in from someone in Colorado. And uh, she reported that the Daily Sentinel, a newspaper in Grand Junction, Colorado, carried the following story. The headline is... Ballot machine cyber advisory doesn't impact Colorado election officials said went on to describe uh, in some detail the national advisory that I mentioned to you from the United States Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, it's called. And basically what this advisory said is that there is a, one of the leading vendors in at least 16 states has software vulnerabilities that leave them susceptible for hacking. Now, the uh, key thing here is that uh, the um, Mesa County, the county that's reporting on this in Colorado, said we use a different kind of machine. We don't use the Dominion machine that has been implicated in this report. So we're not the ones that are being at the focus of this report. Now, my retort is, is there any real system, any system at all, computer system that is completely invulnerable? It seems to me the nature of the systems are such that they are going to be vulnerable, right? And why aren't we having a conversation about how we're securing them? Why isn't that first and foremost? Again, forget going backwards. We can't go back to all the different play times and places where there's been election problems. Can't go back to 2000 and make Al Gore president. Can't go back to 2016 and make uh, Jill uh, Green, what's Green Party? Jill Stein president. Can't go back to 2020 and bring Trump back. Not going to happen. But why haven't we been serious about the problems that we're facing and what to do about them? We haven't been. We're not serious. That's the threat to our republic. All right, more on this to follow. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, uh, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>